Welcome to episode 91 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I don't know if it's just me that's in this um, feeling like a rush to get all of my tax things done. And it might be just me because I am, I have a corporation, I have an LLC. So we, I my due date is a month earlier than everybody else's with their taxes. So I've been thinking about that lately. And I wanted to list a couple of things that are great about um, doing telepractice when you come to do your taxes, which I am not a tax professional, but the things that I found are tax write-offs that are helpful when you're going through this. Um, a lot of us who are full-time uh, telepractitioners do either our contracting or have a private practice. And so that comes with its own set of headaches with doing your taxes. Um, and you, my first advice would be to have a really good accountant who can help you with all of these things and don't try to do it on your own. But some things to think about if you're thinking about jumping into it is that there are some benefits. Um, things like writing off, I write off every month our internet usage, our internet bill, because uh, that is something that I I have to do have to do my job so we get the benefit of that you can also um even right off the square footage of your house that's dedicated as an office, it can be a tax write off and or any of the other costs that go with that and um, all of those great materials that you are buying on Teachers Pay Teachers, make sure you're writing all of that off and I just think it's such a benefit to all of these things that you were going to buy anyways, and that now they can be yours instead of the districts that you may or not not be able to keep when you leave and, you know, really building up those materials. And if you have that LLC or um, uh, the designated business, then that makes it so much easier to make sure that you're getting the benefits from all of that. You could write off all your children's toys because you know eventually you're going to get them. And I them know, right? Right? <laughs> I try not to get too crazy with it. But yeah, yeah, even things like, you know, I my husband bought a new laptop and it is my backup mm -hmm. laptop. <laughs> so sure. his backup laptop is now a company expense. <laughs> so there I try not, go. you have to be careful getting too creative with it. But um, yeah, a, a good accountant can help you with that too. And then if you like, you know, if you travel to, maybe you travel to a place where you usually work remotely and, you know, if you're like, in Disneyland and swing by the place that you work remotely. <laughs> that can also be, which I, you know, not dis I haven't done that with Disneyland, but we did travel um, to a conference that my husband was doing and I did stop by my school and, you know, met the people in person while I was driving by anyway. So that can be, you know, you can get, uh, have some travel benefits too that people wouldn't think of because you're at home every day. And then there's just like the cost benefit of, I don't have to put gas in my car to go to work every day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I think people have noticed those benefits too. But I just think a lot of people are maybe scared of the fact that they have to create their own business to contract as a telepractitioner. And it has been more of a benefit than it has been a liability, in my experience. Sure. And I see the same thing. Um, 
you just have to do it smartly. You have to mm-hmm. understand uh, how your state structures mm-hmm. uh, LLCs and uh, any other, you know, uh, sort of local um, issues that you might have to, or policies or laws that you have to follow. But yeah, I think uh, having a, a really good accountant that can really guide you is, is going to be key because uh, figuring out some of this stuff is is kind of difficult. <laughs> right, <laughs> Reading through right. some of the rules and regulations and knowing exactly how to do certain things or what percentage or what amount can you actually, you know, write off and all this stuff. So yep. definitely having an accountant. And even if you have an attorney, which we have uh, with the company uh, to check some things out from time to time too. Mm-hmm. So that, that is always great. Yep. When I um, made my LLC, I just happened to be in a uh, play group with a mom who was an accountant and a mom who was had gone to law school. So one day for play group, I brought my laptop and we sat down and made my LLC. <laughs> so hey, it all worked out. <laughs> it all worked, worked out. You guys had a good time. The kids had yep. a good time. And yep. you, have, you yep. have a business. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I uh, ran across a headline that jumped out at me in my news feed this week, and it is the headline is Amazon rolls out its telehealth service nationwide. So we kind of mentioned this before they were getting into telehealth more and more. They had more of a pilot program they were doing in Seattle and a couple of other cities, but Apparently, they are now going to go, let's see, launch in 20 cities around the United States, including New York City, San Francisco, Miami, Chicago, probably most of the major markets they're going to be in. Um, And they're going to be uh, doing a blend of virtual care and a new approach to in-person care. So it'll be interesting with, you know, they already have the delivery mechanisms in place, the systems. They already are delivering uh, prescriptions and other things. Now they're uh, getting into healthcare. Uh, So it'll be interesting as, again, some of these companies that we see, we we also see other um, companies like CVS uh, doing the same thing. Uh, even some of the insurance companies are getting into it, like uh, Anthem and Cigna, and some of the others are, are getting into sort of a telehealth model, mm-hmm. which is good in one sense because it's making it more available and more as a part of a standard of care in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll just have to see how some of these companies approach it, exactly how it's going to be structured. And right now, you know, no one really knows in terms of what we do as speech language pathologists and allied health, OTs, PTs, how we would fit into what these companies are doing. Uh, They they probably are focused just on, you know, physicians Physicians. at the moment. But eventually, I would assume that they're going to be getting into other services, other disciplines, and hopefully come up with a model that we can be a part of that and it would be beneficial. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. 
Yeah. So is it um, physicians that are actually like working for Amazon are providing these services? Is that what it's looking like? I can't, mm -hmm. I just couldn't tell if it was like they connect physicians with their service and then you connect with them. So what, what they're doing is they are, let's see, it says that they are signing up employers at the moment. And so they're going to be working through employers to provide these services. Okay. Uh, it said uh, it said Tuesday that it started providing services for Whole Foods, uh, the upscale grocer, uh, as well as uh, chip maker Silicon Labs, True Blue, a staffing company, and and so forth. And so, right now, I guess they're working through the employers to provide access to telehealth care. So maybe the employer would somehow through the benefits that you pay for as an employee, uh, that would be an option is that you could get to see a physician through telehealth uh, provided through your benefits, but Interesting. ultimately through Amazon. Interesting. So we'll see how it all plays out, but it's, it is very interesting. Yep. Um, and on the podcast, we have uh, Narissa Hall, who is just a phenomenal person. She's she's done so much with tele-AAC, mm -hmm. even uh, edited a book that's out uh, through Plural Publishing. And so I'm just really looking forward to learning more from her on how to work with, with children and adults who may be AAC users. I had a fun time picking her brain, so it was fun. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So, Narissa, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce uh, yourself and share more about your background? Sure thing. Um, thank you for inviting me. My name is Narissa. Narissa Hall. I am a speech language pathologist that has a passion for AAC and telepractice and also assistive technology. I was, I did my undergrad and my master's and my PhD at UMass um, under some really great guidance and mentorship. And it was there where I was able to connect my two fields. Well, I hadn't yet gotten into telepractice and my colleague, Michelle Boisvert was a, a year ahead of me and she was doing telepractice and we would talk about it. And we then realized that, wow, there's so much potential to merge these two fields for a number of reasons. And I studied that as my PhD and was fortunate to be able to doing it, do it at the same time while running a private practice with my colleague, Hillary Jellison. Um, and we had Communicare 
communicare, right. but commonly friendly, more friendlyly known now as communicare. Um, and we were doing primarily AAC work. And so we were able to intersect the academic vision with the clinical application. And it has just evolved and morphed from there. So where did that initial interest in technology come from? Just in a general sense. I think um, in I had an internship um, with two speech language pathologists that worked for the Department of Developmental Disabilities. And they were very, they were playing around with light tech, paper-based, no tech at the time. This was quite a while ago. And they, it was an easy entry point in the sense that I, as a undergrad just learning, could make a whole bunch of books really quickly and play around on the computer. And then as I explored a little bit more, I got to see some high tech options and they gave me the, the opportunity to play around with that. And then I met um, a man, Ron Bonoy, who was using a Dynavox, Dynavox um, at the time. And that he completely blew my mind and opened my world to the power of technology and what it could do to empower people with complex communication needs. And mm-hmm. it was just very inspiring. That's a, I almost feel like, and I don't know if this is a correct analogy in, in, in your mind, but I almost feel like the iPad did for AAC what the pandemic did for telepractice. <laughs> Just put Very it sure. in everybody's hands, right? Everybody's, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. It's been so funny with, you know, the, the change with the old systems where you had to go buy the big system and and you know from the company that made it versus now using an app on a on a tablet, Absolutely. Uh, and how some companies are able to shift and do that, and others went away because they couldn't. Yeah, and the what the pandemic did has done, and as you mentioned, Kim, for for telepractice and tele AAC in particular has been profound, um, right. and we've, you know, it's really created an opportunity for um, really widespread use of tele in a very flexible way. And it just, it's really well matched for the, for AAC, which is so um, dependent on partners and the, the partners. So it's, we had to engage remotely and it, quickly allowed us to see how powerful engaging remotely could be with people that should have been involved in the intervention so early on when thinking about working in particular contexts. Um, we were given, an, we had to connect with these providers, mainly caregivers and parents, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what we want to be doing with AAC in particular. Yeah. So it really forced us to do something that actually the field has really needed desperately. Right. Cause I think we've all been in that situation where they come to the speech room and they take the device out of the, bu- out of the bag where it's been all day <laughs> when they yeah. get mm-hmm. to the speech room. Sometimes it's charged. Sometimes it's not. 
it. And yeah, getting that integration to everything that they're doing and especially the integration into the home, I think has been such a great part of it. But I feel like there are a lot of people who were scared of it, that they thought like, oh, there's so many things that you could do with telepractice and speech therapy, but not AAC. (laughs) I feel like that's a mindset that a lot of people had. So what, what have you found to overcome that? And what would you say to people that still think that? Um, I, I think what we, we acknowledge it and talk, Mm -hmm. I think we talk about the teletech and the AAC tech and try to parse Mm -hmm. the two out and help people feel competent about the teletechnology, what's needed to support this engagement. And then we let the AAC technology layer in as we feel comfortable. And fortunately, as we know in the field of AAC, we have so many, the power of paper-based AAC or light tech tools. And even when someone is using a high-tech complex tool, we we want to have a light tech, no tech version. And so sometimes to help balance the teletech with the AAC tech, we go no tech AAC. And we say, let's just, we want to connect. We establish that really powerful face-to-face connection in a tele environment, and then slowly bring in the the AAC tech as the whomever we're working with feels comfortable. And I think when we can be transparent about that, at the beginning and help quell some fears or allow people to say, I'm really nervous about the technology or does this really work? And just acknowledging it has been that that kind of transparent initial um, conversation has been important. And then what has been surprising is people, when we don't often ask, what do they expect it to be like, or what do they anticipate tele services tele-AAC to be and sometimes we're picturing two very different things and when we have a little bit of initial dialogue and we 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 picture the same picture it can go much more smoothly so we really do try to establish an initial discussion to think what someone get what to understand what the other person is thinking or worrying about it and to address those right at the front right at the Mm -hmm. forefront of the 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 clinical work together. Yeah. So with your paper-based, when you're doing things like trying to like uh, model or incorporate it into a, a tele-session, are you doing like a, th- a third camera so they can see you pointing at it also and you could do the modeling or do you do it like have the same pictures on the screen? What does that kind of look like? So great question. We have had to be really flexible, which has come from the pandemic. So if you'd asked me prior to the pandemic, I would have said we need at least a 22 inch screen and we need to have this and we have to have X, Y, and Z. And we were forced to do tele-AAC in the absence of having really uh, robust equipment setups. Mm -hmm. Ideally, we would have a second camera of some sort that would allow us to... provide that simultaneous modeling. So if I had a paper-based tool, when we do have the second camera and you can actually see someone's hand interact with the tool versus just screencasting it and doing a highlight, 
while they can both be really effective, sometimes for more novice partners, actually screen casting your the way in which you engage so they can see almost like a video motion that we've we've found to be a little easier for people to follow. Um, and so that is ideal if we have a two camera setup. Um, but we have obviously, we can toggle camera views if we are only working with one camera. We have often, if we are working with a smaller real estate, like a, a smaller computer screen or way of doing the face-to-face, -face, we'll make sure that there are replicas of the tools in the on the receiving end. So we are both referencing the same media, um, just if we are contending with smaller visual real estate. So a few strategies to make sure that um, that the the art of the modeling is able to be transferred effectively mm -hmm. in a across tele means. Yeah. And I think something that I noticed too, is that I can't only put into consideration, as you called it, the visual real estate on my side, but also on their side. Cause a lot of times I, you know, I have like a double wide screen and a third monitor if I need it. And, but my parents were connecting on like an iPad or I don't, sometimes a phone. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, I don't know what you were on, but I'm vertical <laughs> on your side and horizontal on my side. And I don't know if how this is looking, you know, so you have to rely on those other people and, th and consider how it looks on their end and not just how it looks on your end. Yeah. 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 So something that I thought was helpful with that is I did some green screen too. Um, and had some of the, uh, you know, cards that we were using for words up on a green screen so I could point to them and it wasn't switching back and forth between different things. It was still my face that was kind of the focus. So that's something that I found works too. But I haven't done a lot. So I'm, if I pepper you with questions, just trying to see how it looks, that's because it's something that I haven't done yet a lot of either. There's still so much to explore. So it's yeah. always fun to talk about it. Yeah, the green screen was is one of the most amazing things. We not last year but the year before we needed to move our camp on very short notice entirely. We do a 5 week AAC camp entirely online and we all very quickly learned how to model with a green screen behind <laughs> us and move our head out of the way so that we could say more go and we had yep. life-size language boards up and green screens. So um, green screens are super engaging. Um, lots of fun. Yeah. Nerissa, what about assessments? Cause that seems to be a very common question that we get sometimes that people just, you know, continue to struggle with assessments in general through telepractice, but especially when we're thinking about AAC. So could you sort of walk us through some recommendations or resources that you could uh, you could make for our listeners? Sure. So every scenario varies, as we sure. know. When it comes to really complex access, that is really tricky and often requires careful partnership with an on-site team. Um, and fortunately there are some device representatives that can help with that. And so there are ways of circumventing that. But in general, the when we come 
to AAC, so much of the assessment process also has to do with observing and, and observing interactions. So there is so much room for those more naturalistic observations, assuming it's not too overwhelming that there's a screen. And sometimes families have been discreet and used their phone and tucked it away somewhere and being able to show that really important, important qualitative information. There are a few, we can obviously project content, um, you know, through screen sharing. And while we've sometimes, it's, you know, we've, we have done some feature matching. So in the AAC field, being able to complete a series of feature matching tasks can be really powerful in helping inform the clinician as to what size grid potentially, or if we've been working with a grid, maybe we're thinking about scenes or how many at a given time and what kind of vocabulary. So there are a lot of tasks that can be presented or in a screen sharing way. And again, with that second camera, if careful, either in advance, sharing information about optimal positioning, because it's really great to be able to see how an individual is reaching for the shared content onto the screen per se. So if we can kind of get a side angle of that. So we have a series of, of materials that we can present and to gain that information. And we can, but it's really up to the communication partner or whomever's in that on-site environment to help position the, the viewing window so we can see access. So that is one of the, the trickier things. We've done a lot with um, store and forward techniques and leveraging asynchronous services and inviting family members or communication partners to capture videos. Sometimes those are often the most, the more natural opportunities that can lend themselves to offer a lot of information. So we cannot, as a group, our own group, we really, really value asynchronous, the combination of asynchronous and synchronous service delivery. What we generally try to do is work um, with an on-site person. So whether or not it is a parent or a communication partner or a an ETL in a school and work through them to help us gather diagnostic information as well. So oftentimes when we're working with individuals with complex communication and access needs, a lot of it has to do with careful collaboration with the on-site personnel to help either arrange the environment in such a way or or position our eyes from the remote location in a, in a manner that can give us some really informative observational information. We tend to do it also over a series of times. Um, and so once we've had that initial opportunity to view the individual in the moment or working on certain feature matching tasks, we can better deliver uh, a targeted overlay that could help us gather more information. And then we can leverage all sorts of things like LAM data and and you know what what some of the devices can collect and report back and then we get into the whole asynchronous um, data collection systems and so it, there are a number of different 
ways of gathering the information based on who we're working with and what resources we have. And I know that doesn't really give a very clear cut answer, but it also lights the possibility of hope that we can still get really powerful information, even if not in a very mainstream um, unilateral way. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I did want to say is we, I think the consultative part of tele has, is also really powerful. So Mm -hmm. we have done a lot. If I can reflect on our practice in general, we are either one, I might be the on-site clinician connecting with a bilingual interventionist or therapist and that we can then, they will guide me. I have a good foundational knowledge about AAC, but we are there in the same session and our expertise are mushed together at the same time. And so my clinician would be talking to me and telling me how to do things and then engaging directly with an individual. Another way that we've done it is we have either invited a device representative who's much more or really well-versed in particular access. And so they might be on site and then we'll be connecting remotely. And so we all have eyes at the same time. And that kind of collaborative approach is really helpful for these complex cases um, and, and also make it, I feel like a little less daunting for the individual to have the number of people managed. And are the device representatives, is that fairly common that they will agree to help in those situations? Um, in our area, yes. we're, And I imagine it to be similar. I've heard from other professionals, mm-hmm. Amanda Soper, Sarah Gregory, they talk in similar ways about working collaboratively with other providers to get that mm-hmm. information. Um, there are also great agencies like, mm-hmm. you know, UCP or Easter Seals that have practitioners that can help. And in my experience, they, based on availability, they have been very helpful and willing to go into that environment. I think what, again, one of the silver linings of COVID is that we can see it's much easier to manage proximity and space when you have people entering remotely. And so what was sometimes seen as a disservice by not having everyone there at the same time, I think has been very much appreciative because we're often working with individuals with compromised immune systems or just, you know, you can have five people safely part of an assessment in close proximity when we are going remote. I have walked into an early intervention AAC evaluation where we had six people in the room between the OT and the PT and the SLP and then some students. And yeah, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. So that is a good point. Um, What about when people are thinking about just like the upkeep of the device? Do a lot of them allow for kind of remote programming and so your parents not having to try to get that device to you to program it and get it back how, how is that working right now I'm so glad you bring me bring that up we just had such a successful session doing exactly that I was mm-hmm. in my remote location and I talked um, the home health aide over um, how to 
import an overlay from Dropbox. And so a lot of these apps have cloud-based capabilities that allow us to push and pull overlays from the same, um, from a shared account. So that's really, really powerful. And we literally just did that with a touch chat overlay today and Proloco to go and Lamp and many of the other ones have very similar features. So that has been so helpful um, in being able to leverage the cloud to, and even outside of Tele to allow us for that Mm -hmm. remote programming without taking an individual's voice away from them. Right. What's interesting, I had a very uh, similar conversation with a faculty member this afternoon who's an audiologist, and we were talking about how the hearing technology today, you know, hearing aids, uh, even cochlear implants, where the manufacturers are building into the devices this ability to do remote programming of those devices. And so the it's it's like the the industry you know, uh, the manufacturers have been thinking about this for a long time. You know, yeah. this doesn't happen just because of COVID. They've been planning this for a long time. Uh, so this this idea of, of remote uh, programming of your device, whatever you're using, hearing aids or AAC. Yeah. And so it just further reinforces what we're doing. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> really is. And it's just going to continue to, go in that direction, I think. Yeah. Everything that's going on right now. Um, So you, uh, Nerissa, also have a book that you've done through Plural Publishing and and have jumped into the world of publishing. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And uh, how, how did that come about? How did and how's it how's it doing? People, are, I'm sure, are, are scooping it up and, and using it. Hopefully, at not only for their own practices, but hopefully, some universities are picking it up too. I hope so. But I, you know, I think either way, it. Well, to your first question, how did mm-hmm. it happen? We, I was invited to speak on a panel at ASHA um, and do a short course, and it was a panel discussion with. Um, a few other colleagues and Michelle Gutman, she um, served as our, um, I can't think of the name, but she helped coordinate the discussion. And we had Ellen Cohen and mm-hmm. um, we had Jennifer from the VA. And we, so we all experienced telepractice in our own way. And we came together for the short course. And from that short course, we were then invited to talk or to write about tele-AAC. So it really came from, um, we only come together just for this course, which had been a great opportunity to collaborate. And then it evolved into a much larger collaboration of all bringing together our different vantage points to put in print what tele-AAC is and could be. Um, Obviously, before we knew it would be a become a have to for many people. Um, But our goal was really to break down what feels like the enormity of tele-AAC into a real um, digestible chunks with illustrative examples that could help people feel 
comfortable that they could embark on what we knew to be a really powerful service delivery method. Um, and so that was the goal. And I do, we were very fortunate to be able to work with Plural and have the opportunity to have pictures and some associated videos to try to bring to life, which is kind of hard to conceptualize if you aren't very comfortable with telepractice. Um, and even if you're comfortable with AAC, I still think for many people there, like, how do we still do this online? Right. Um, and so we were, our goal was to, to break it down um, into a, a, not so much a step-by-step guide, but into these, a way to understand it and see it and picture it. That's awesome. Well, it's, it's a great resource and I, I do hope many people go out and grab it uh, who are interested because it's, it is a wonderful resource. So c- congratulations on, on that hard work. And I, I know how hard work, how much work it takes to put into something like that. So it's, it's commendable. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were a lot of contributors and sure. people yeah. and it takes a village and we're very fortunate. Um, but yes, it was quite a project. So I did want to ask about uh, something else. So I, I noticed you mentioned the camps that you guys do, which is really incredible for kids uh, who are AAC users. I know you had to do some online, like you mentioned, but just in general, when maybe after COVID, you, you go back to being in person and bringing kids together, because I think it's a wonderful thing. So can you talk a little bit more about the camps that you guys do? Camp. We we love camp um, and we have been able to come back together and do a little bit of a hybrid option. And the goal of camp is to connect individuals who use AAC. My business partner, Hillary, came up with the idea about 12 years ago now. And we started, she started, and I just observed, um, started with five kids after school, I think for an hour and a half. And then right before COVID, we were at 50 kids, each with paraprofessionals and graduate student clinicians. And it was, it's really grown into this momentous organization. And we are fortunate to be, we plan to do it again this year. Our company has merged with another company, uh, Tate Behavioral, and it's a really progressive behavior analytic company with really fantastic ideas about breaking down and building up complex supports for individuals with complex communication needs. So we are hoping, fingers crossed, to have an in-person component and a hybrid option because I think people are still concerned about safety and we want to be able to accommodate them. But it's our camp is a three process, a three-pronged endeavor where we are really focusing on the individual with complex communication needs, their communication partner, as well as future graduate student or future speech language pathologist. So it's an immersive learning opportunity that doesn't, that focuses on building confidence and competence around using alternative forms of communication and being multimodal communicators. Excellent. Yeah. It's a, it's a great concept. And so it's, I think it's just a wonderful thing. So 
congratulations on all the work that you guys are doing around those. Thank you. And hope hopefully it'll continue to be very successful. I hope so. <laughs> so, Narissa, now we get to the good part. <laughs> what we call our moment of Zen. So I want you to choose A, B, or C. Right now, choose yes. it mm-hmm. and tell you. Yes. C. C. All right. So we call this our moment of Zen, where we ask some questions just to get to know you in a more personal way. So okay. you can answer any way you want, long answers or short answers. Doesn't matter. Great. Okay. Um, where did you grow up and how did that affect? who you became? Whoa, that is a long (laughs) question answer because I am very proudly South African. Mm -hmm. I was born in South Africa and I grew up in post-apartheid South Africa. And I was a part of reverse at a time of reverse discrimination. And I got to, and I wouldn't just say just reverse discrimination, but just a lot of turmoil in a post-apartheid South Africa in a very diverse community. And I got to see firsthand what stereotypes and the ill effects of stereotypes and discrimination. And it really, and also the power of differences and people that I shouldn't, we shouldn't have been mixing with or be friendly with due to ridiculous reasons and and just having grown up in that environment really got me passionate about many things like discrimination and and stereotyping and I and when I had part of what I connected me so deeply to the field was that for individuals with complex communication needs that don't necessarily are struggling to communicate in ways that other people understand are often marginalized for unnecessary reasons. And although not directly related, um, very much connected to that marginalization um, that I had seen and witnessed and being part of, um, and also had been part of uh, South Africa that was fighting so desperately to change that. And I think that that's like really fueled my passion for individuals of all abilities. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I Long could spend answer. another no, I could spend another hour picking your brain about all of that. That's so interesting. That is interesting. Uh, next question is if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? Oh that's a fun question. Um I would definitely still do my job. Um I love what I do and I love the community that we work with. I would just likely set up the most phenomenal tele remote tele traveling setup that would afford me the opportunity to travel and explore the world and continue to take it all in and continue to be engaged in the field in some capacity um, but to, con- I just, I love to travel and I would, I would be traveling would be the priority. Awesome. I, I 
I'm with you. Um, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? I searched for <laughs> um, socks, like <laughs> nylon waterproof socks for dogs because my 10-month-old puppy not really a puppy has somehow broken a toe and needs to be in a cast oh, that wow. has to stay dry <laughs> in the middle of winter with snow melt and ice and snow. And so I'm having a very hard time keeping his extremely large cast dry. And I was searching doggy booties. <laughs> and did you find some socks for your dog that are? <laughs> I think I, it's such a large cost that I think I have to revert to socks. So then I'm trying to find socks that offer some kind of waterproof. <laughs> that was my downward Amazon Google search. Wrap them in a trash bag or something. That's what I was going to say. When all else fails. <laughs> I know, but I'm now, then my environmental, environmental conscious is coming because he rips through them and it just yeah. takes one visit outside. So I'm trying to find a more sustainable option because they just told me today at the vet that I've got at least four more weeks of this cost. Well, I hope it gets better and you find the right solution. I had a daughter with a broken arm in the summer. So with the trying to go to the beach and swimming, I, there, there was no good solution. I think her cast just got wet and we pulled it off. So I have no help, but I've been there. And now her arm's like this. No, it was fine. (laughs) Well, I feel better as a, I feel better. Thank you. Okay. Um, Next question. What do people misunderstand most about you? Oh, Probably my resting expression. People say Mm. that I uh, generally look or I'm intimidating because I don't think Mm. I smile quickly enough. And so usually I get that and that couldn't be further from intimidating. And I'm probably more intimidated by you, um, whomever feels that they're being intimidated by me. So I think people misunderstand my resting expression. (laughs) I'm working on just smiling more. Okay. Good. Um, what is a common myth about your job? Oh, um, that we only work with the most complex of people and most compromised of people. Um, and not that I think it used to be that we only ever worked with people who couldn't say L or R or maybe Mm -hmm. their S's. And then once AAC has become more mainstream and we don't just associate speech language pathologists with doing straight articulation, I think then it's this misconception that AAC is only for this really small, low incidence population. Very good. That's right. Um, and you may have already answered this, but here's the question. What challenge in life shaped you the most? So you mentioned growing up in South Africa. Oh, probably leaving South Africa. Oh, leaving South Africa. Okay. Yeah. Halfway through, um, our school years are different. So we in South Africa are January to December. And so I made it through what's the same as freshman year. 
And then I left at the end of freshman year and went back into halfway through freshman year. And freshman year is an interesting time to sure. move mm-hmm. and move countries. So I shaped a lot. I bet so. I bet so. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when are you the most productive? Ooh, 5 a.m. Early morning. Early riser. Completely opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I have to I don't like to necessarily wake up early, but when I'm up, it's like turbo. Mm-hmm. Turbo speed, multitasking, super productive. Yep. I I I do better in the mornings. Um <laughs> what's your favorite comfort food? Ooh, mac and cheese. Well, good. And next question, do you have a life motto? If so, what is it? Or saying or quote? I go by the classic do unto others as you want to be done to you. Awesome. Very good. And the last question, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Finally, come hang out. <laughs> Welcome. Open arms. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Narissa, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. And thank you for your just wealth of information about AAC and tele-AAC. And we wish you just the best of luck in everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Uh, nice to connect with you both. So thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Narissa once again for joining us and sharing such great information about how to deliver services effectively with individuals that are using AAC. Such an important area, and we need to do it the right way. So thank you, Narissa, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to grow this podcast and to reach more people and share it with others, share it with people you work with. Uh, We would love to have more and more listeners. And with that, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.